Can I get all of you who have been a part of the military, any branch, or are currently serving to stand up? We just want to honor you today. Wonderful. Thank you. Appreciate you. You know, it's um, it's uh, my my son travels all over the world with the job that he does, and you know, still we'll have these conversations about politics because that's what dads and sons do, and um, he's wrong most of the time, you know, but uh, still we agree that this is the greatest country on the planet. And the freedoms we have didn't come cheap and easy. And I just would say thank you, all of you who not only served, but who gave up family to serve. And you served as well. And so, again, let's, let, I hope you get some time to just be honored today. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, just, as a, just a quick note of uh, housekeeping. I don't know, some of you walked into the lobby out there and you saw there's a big blue wall. And some of you thought, something feels different. Right, so we, we walled in that area so that we could make storage. Long story short, uh, we need to spray the inside of the storage area because it's dark purple right now, and to light that thing is going to be crazy. We, wanna, we just want to do a quick spray through it. Uh, so if anyone has an airless paint sprayer, we just want to paint it white so we can light it up and put storage stuff in there. So if you do, will you call the church office and say you got it? And if you have time to come and run the paint sprayer, that'd even be better. So... Uh, we'll buy your paint and lunch. <laughs> Amen. Hey, we are in the uh, middle of a six-week series on the family, learning about family, what it is, what it isn't, and how we're to live in this, the context of this thing called family. I can tell you, uh, I've said this before, and I will say it again, I believe the family is the single most powerful institution on the planet. Uh, I wish uh, I could say it was the church, or I wish you could say it was, uh, or, or perhaps some of you might even say it was a government somewhere, or somebody with lots of money. The most powerful institution on the planet, I believe, is the family. God intended it that way. He intended us to be marked by our families for the good. Uh, not all of us had that experience. We didn't all walk through amazing times and had these great experiences that we can say, Wow, I truly understand the love of a father because it's what I experienced. I don't know. Maybe you did or didn't, or you have or you haven't. I can tell you God's plan was to bring that in, but I can also tell you that God can restore that which you may did not have had. And I'm a perfect example of that. I, I know that I came from a home of a lot of brokenness, and God began to restore some places that the enemy tried to take away from me. I know he can do it in you. The family... The family, I believe, is, one, is the most powerful institution. It's where God wanted to reveal himself to us. It's where God wanted to reveal us to us, to begin to help us to see what we're created for and how we do this thing and what our gifts are. I think that's the plan of family. Uh, the, the series is called The Emotional healthy, Emotionally Healthy Family. So let me read you a couple of definitions on what emotional health looks like, and you can uh, determine if you qualify as being emotionally healthy or not. People who are emotionally healthy are in control of their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. They're able to cope with challenges. They keep the problems in perspective, and they bounce back from setbacks. Emotionally healthy people doesn't necessarily mean that they're happy all the time. It means that they're aware of their emotions. They can deal with them, whether, positively or negative, whether they're positive or negative. Emotionally healthy people still feel stress, anger, and sadness, 
but they know how to manage their negative feelings, and they, tell, uh, they, they also know how to seek help when they need to. Emotional health. How many of you qualify reading those definitions? <laughs> right? Let me tell you, it's, it's hard. I can tell you this. Emotionally healthy family. Last week we talked about the emotionally healthy boundaries. And if you needed those notes, you could certainly go online and download the sermon or whatever. You can, you can see that. Emotional health. It's amazing to me the more I dip into this, this understanding of being emotionally healthy. There's a great book out there by Peter Scazzaro called The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality about how to live emotionally healthy, even spiritually, how, how, to, how to walk through that. And the truth is, our emotions are a lot like the caboose of a train, right? If there's a, an, an, an engine, a coal car, and a caboose, an engine, a coal car, and the caboose, the train is supposed to head that way, that mind, will, and emotions. It's supposed to head the way that the, the engine is. Most of us drive our train the wrong way. And we drive our train with the emotions being pushed by our, our mind, and we get pushed, and the train jumps the tracks, and so many of us get emotionally into the weeds. That's where a lot of us are in our families. We just get emotionally off into some crazy ditch somewhere and try to figure out how to get happy. We think buying more stuff or doing more things is going to make us happy. This morning I want to talk to you about the emotionally healthy family in the area of conflict resolution. Some of you are like, oh, that explains why we fought on the way to church in the car. Right? The emotionally healthy family dealing with, emo- dealing with in the area of conflict resolution. Let me tell you this. If you've been married for eight seconds, you know that there's conflict in family at some point. Come on. Some of you, I just saw some elbows just go, yeah. Right? So let me tell you this. It's conflict in family that's normal, but not every, not every conflict is okay. Right? I am... Um, I got to go visit my mom a couple of weeks ago, and, and I, w- I walked into her. She has this double-wide trailer, and I was walking down the hallway to the bathroom, and I'm a large human, so I, I can almost bump the walls. So I, I looked at one of the walls, the pictures on the walls, and she has pictures of us from little to huge. And, and I remember this one frame had no picture in it. It just had words. And so I got a little closer, and the words had been enlarged, and I could tell the bar. I was like, that's, that's my name. What's it doing on there? What, did I, did I, what was it? So I read it. And it turns out that it was a text that I sent my mom a bunch of years ago, just, a, just an off-the-cuff text that I was thinking, and I sent it to her, and she took a picture of it and blew it up and put it in a frame. And the text was, was all about me sending her a note saying, thank you for your courage. I just said, Mom, thank you for your courage for piling all five of us kids up into the cab of a U-Haul truck, leaving an, ab- an abusive father in Arizona, and driving us up here to Washington to... Just try and figure it out. Thanks for your courage. I didn't know it. She blew it up and put it in the hallway. Can I just tell you this? Maybe you are that same type of person and you walk in here today with, with some courage because you faced that kind of ugly situation and walked through it. Can I just say, I'm proud of you. Or maybe you're in the midst of it right now. Can I, can I tell you, listen to me, that there's nowhere in the Bible that says it's okay to live in an abusive relationship. There's nowhere. I, you, you, you can call um, 911. You can call uh, hotlines. There's some pl- you got to get some help. At the end of the service today, I'm going to put a slide up on the screen that has a bunch of resources for somebody to call if they need to. But, but uh, it's okay for you if you find yourself and you need help. And again, every circumstance is different. And I can't tell you that my, my mom wasn't afraid most of the time in, in walking that through. But I can tell you she finally did something. And, it's, and, and to that, I'm super proud of her. Amen. Amen. 
Conflict resolution, though it happens in families, conflict is not always healthy. But I want to, I, I wrote down a couple of things this morning that I want you to mark in your phone or somewhere on a place that you'll get back to. Of, of, these are what I call the conflict resolution, uh, really the non-negotiables of conflict resolution. There's three things I want to tell you before I give you some more information, but the, the non-negotiables of conflict resolution. The first is this. You, number one, the, the number one non-negotiable in a conflict resolution is you are not always right. Right? My wife told me that. You are not always right. Right? If, if right is the goal of your conflict resolution, then you already are starting off backwards. You're not always right. Right? The goal of conflict resolution, the goal of getting through this thing is a restored relationship, not winning and losing. Amen. Number two, second non-negotiable in conflict resolution, listening for understanding is the most important thing. You must listen for understanding. Most of us get into a conflict and we just listen long enough for the person to stop talking so we can tell our point. We can get our words in edgewise and get going. Uh, listening for understanding, it's important that you use words like, what I hear you saying is, that little role play I did last week was important to understand, that, that we can talk to people, whether it's a spouse or someone at work, we can, we can deal with life, but we have to, understand, have to listen with understanding, not just listen to words and, and somehow just look for the moment for us to blab off our stuff. And number three, non-negotiable, the main thing must remain the main thing. The main thing must remain the, this, the main thing. Too many of us get into a discussion or a conflict, and before you know it, we're talking about bad breath and weird hair and you know dirty clothes, and it just gets blown out of a crazy place, and we forgot the main thing because we're just so angry. Sometimes the, the most important thing, you, some of you just need to go take a nap. <laughs> just get some rest. And stop. Some of you are like, preach. <laughs> Some of you just need a nap, right? So what happens, right? I, I know that for Polly and I, I'm very verbal, right? Which is, I, I tried one time in the middle of an argument, discussion. Tried it in the discussion. I said something silly like, hey, I'm a professional communicator. <laughs> Did not go well. I remember nothing after that point. <laughs> Except the phrase, communicate this, right? So I realized, <laughs> heading down the wrong road. So, <laughs> all right. Sometimes it's important for you to just catch your breath and then get back to the discussion. Amen? Come on. Let me tell you a story in the Bible of a couple of people who got into a conflict. This conflict was over there. Uh, it, was, it was a little bigger than them. And, and you may or may not know this particular uh, conflict, but you certainly know the players who are actively involved in this conflict. The players are the Apostle Paul, a guy named Barnabas, and a fellow named Mark, well, who wrote one of the Gospels named Mark. Remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? So Paul, Mark, and Barnabas, right? Barnabas was an uncle to the guy named Mark. So Uncle Barnabas was a friend of Paul. They were missionaries. They were sent out on a missionary trip to go off and reach Asia and do all of the wonderful things. And somehow in the midst of their missionary journey, a fight ensued. Now, we don't know the details of the fight. We don't know anything that happened in the midst of their conflict. But we do know that, that, that they parted ways. Let's take a look at this. Acts chapter 13. Verse 13, it says, Now Paul and those with him left Panphos by ship to Pamphylia. 
landing at the port of Perga. There, John Mark, or what we know as Mark, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Barnabas and Paul traveled into Asia, Antioch, uh, and Pisidia. On the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue for services. Now, we don't know exactly what happened. It doesn't say much about this conflict. We'll hear a little bit more later. But we know that they were all working together, and something caused John Mark, or Mark, to just up and leave. We don't know what. Maybe he got homesick. I mean, maybe he was just, you know, missing mom, maybe missing his wife. Maybe he was just missing something, and just, he just had to get home. Maybe he was looking at the job at hand. I mean, people were coming out of the woodworks hearing about this Jesus in the first century. A lot of them were getting healed. A lot of them were finding peace and wholeness. But they were coming around trying to find the, 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 the rock star words of God from Paul and Barnabas. And they were like, I want some of that. And they were trying to do they could, what they could to get there. There's another reason I think that could have happened with Paul and Barnabas and Mark. It says here that Mark, John Mark, went home. We don't know why he went home. We know that he's the nephew of Barnabas. But Mark goes home. And for some reason, he just decides to up and leave. It wasn't like he got a text from home. It wasn't like he got an email somewhere. It wasn't like he got something. But something happened in the relationship between Mark and Paul that caused them to want to separate. Let's go down to chapter 15, verse 36. In chapter 15, verse 36, it starts out by saying, and sometime later. So we don't know how long it was after this moment, but apparently it was a period of time. It says in verse 36 of chapter 15, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return to the cities where we previously preached the words of the Lord and see how the new believers are getting along. So after some time, Paul and Barnabas had led a bunch of people to Christ and they wanted to go back and see how they were doing, see how they were progressing in their walks with God. And then this funny little caveat happens in verse 37. Barnabas, talking to Paul, says this. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along with them John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and they had not shared in the work. Their disagreement over this was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark, sailed off to Cyprus. Paul and Silas and the believers entrusted to them went the other way. Here's a couple things about the actual Greek translation. Sometimes you read English words in your Bible and you don't really see the full effect. But in the Greek, it says here that Mark left. The, the word in, in Greek is uh, pronounced apostana, apostana which, which where we get the word apostate. Literally, it says that Mark went apostate from Paul. Translation, Mark just said, you're weird, I'm out. Something happened where Mark just looks at him and goes, dude, I can't live with you anymore. Right? Get, get this. Another word here, it says, that Mark, it says that Paul strongly disagreed. The translation in Greek means that they, uh, they didn't shake hands and hug it out. Listen to this. It says that they sharply separated. The Greek translation means that they severed their relationship. Guys, these are like leaders in the first century church. Two of these guys are writers of two books and a bunch of books of the Bible. Paul and Mark. And they're at odds. How many of you ever worked with somebody that you just don't like? Yeah? <laughs> trying to look around and see if any of my staff is in here. <laughs> they're just like, yeah, you. You ever work with somebody you don't like, but because they're the boss, you just kind of have to live with it. 
right? Maybe, maybe you work with somebody who you just have to tolerate, or you, they, have, they have weird ways, and at some point you're just kind of like, dude, I just think you're dumb, right? You just get this crazy notion about you, and you're, there's inflexibility, you don't want to budge, they don't want to budge, and you just find yourself. This is where Paul and Mark find themselves. Now, we don't know what the conflict really was. We can assume that Mark and Paul were both strong humans. They're both led by the Holy Spirit, but they're just humans. They have this big fight. Personally, I don't think it was because the terrain was difficult and Mark wanted to go home. I don't think he was missing mama's home cooking. I think, honestly, he went home because he and Paul had a fight. I think he and Paul just had, they just had a full-on, you're weird, I don't like you anymore. No, you're weird, I don't like you anymore. And a conflict shows up here in the pages of your Bible. Most of us don't know that. We just look at this passage and we're just like, just love one another. Can I tell you this? These are, this to me, when I read this, I'm just like, these guys are normal. The real question is, is did they figure it out? Did they ever come up to a solution on this conflict? Here's the great news. Yes. We don't know exactly the details, but let me tell you, at the end of Paul's life, Paul writes the books, a bunch of books in the Bible. The last book Paul wrote he was in prison in Rome, and he writes this book to uh, 2 Timothy. It's called 2 Timothy. He writes to Timothy, and as he's writing this book, it's the last book that Paul was ever going to write. It's the last letter. Paul writes this knowing that he's about to die. Now, if you knew you were about to die, something tells me you would want to, well, tie up a few loose ends. This is exactly what Paul does. Listen to this. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in, in just his last closing words, he says, Hey, get here as fast as you can. He's talking to Timothy. He says, Demas is chasing the fads off to Thessalonica, and he left me here. Crescens is in Galatia. Titus is in Dalmatia. Verse 11 says this. Luke is the only one who's here with me. And by the way, he says, bring Mark with you. He will be my right-hand man. Translation, bring Mark here. He'll be super useful to me. Now, something happened between Acts chapter 13 and 2 Timothy. Something happened where these two strong individuals figured it out. And they got to the place where they could say, you're strong and I'm strong and we can live together in this, in this world together. And there was a conflict that needed some solution. So, so let me tell you a couple of, of, of things. I wrote down five things that can help you when you find yourself in the middle of, in the middle of a conflict. And if you want, you could write these things down. I wonder if Paul and Mark experienced some of these. First of all, five things to remember when you're in a conflict. Number one, time doesn't heal all wounds. Time doesn't heal all wounds. Jesus oftentimes will show up in the midst of time and bring healing to wounds. But time itself doesn't heal all wounds. Ephesians 4.26 says this, And don't sin by letting anger get control over you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. Not all anger, but this kind of anger, the kind of anger that you're mad at someone and you're letting the sun go down on it. Now, now, lest you remember that you live in Washington and the sun doesn't always come up. You wonder, well then, that's why I'm mad for the last month. The sun's not gone down. You don't know, right? So can I tell you this? The Bible's actually not even talking about a 24-hour day. It's talking about a season of time. It's saying, hey, listen, while, while you're still harboring that thing inside, don't, don't let the, the season go down before you... Get that thing worked out. So, so my wife and I are heading off to Nashville after church today. We're going to the Foursquare 
National Convention, and it's, uh, we're going to be voting for a new president in our denomination, so be praying for us. Uh, but we're there, and my, lo- my older sister actually lives in Tennessee, so we're going to take a day and go see her while we're over there. Um, my older sister, she has this 36-year-old gripe with me that I'm going to try to get to the bottom of, right? Now you got to remember, man, uh, we, so I was always this size, right? She's never been this size. She had a sweatshirt that said Pep Club on it, right? And, and I was a wrestler, and on a wrestling team, we had the same looking sweatshirts that they did, uh, but we had a, a sweat coats that went over the top of them. But remember in the 80s, we'd always have our uh, hoodies sticking out the back because that was the cool thing. So, so I couldn't find my sweatshirt, so I grabbed her Pep Club sweatshirt, right? Little human, big human, right? I stretched it out like nothing. I mean, it was crazy. To this day, she's still mad. I stretched out her Pep Club shirt. So I'm finding a place that says that I can get a sweatshirt made. It says Pep Club on it. While we're in Nashville, I'm going to hand it to her. Solve the conflict. <laughs> now, you might think that's silly. But some of y'all have been hanging on to stuff in your life as silly. But when you hang on to stuff, time doesn't heal all wounds. Time sometimes just makes the hair grow. And the teeth get rotten. And it starts to stink. Come on, you got stuff in your life, right? You got things you've been hanging on to that's just growing fuzz. And it ain't working for you. And it's your version of a pep club shirt. Come on. The Bible says not to let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't leave conflicts unresolved. Number two, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words leave a mark. James 1.19 says this, My dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. That's one click, one quick and two slows. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Your words leave a mark. Proverbs 18.21 says this, The tongue has the power of life and death in it. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Can I tell you this? I, I, was, I was raised in a home by a stepdad who... Um, who, who, who I, I don't remember him saying ever that he was proud of me or that he loved me. I don't, and my biological father, we were separated from him, so I didn't get a lot of that either. And, and, and I remember just hoping that I would bump into somebody that said they were proud of me. Just somebody would say that. Just some sort of a dad figure. I never really got that until I got married and I, my father-in-law said that to me. And it just, it broke me. But, but I remember this moment, right? Let me tell you this. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words leave a mark. Can I tell you that it works both ways? They can leave a mark to hurt you or they can leave a mark to heal you. Did you realize that you have the power of life and death in your tongue for someone? You could come up, you know what it's like when you come up to somebody and you just say, I'm so proud of you. You're such a great mom. You are such a great employee. I'm so proud of you. Man, the way, you, you, the way that you dealt with that situation with that vendor, I'm so proud of you. Some of you feel like you don't have the authority to say I'm proud of you. Can I just tell you, authority granted. Granted. Take it. And just tell somebody you're proud of them. And watch what happens to your relationship. Because the power of life and death is in your mouth. Bring healing. you imagine if you said that to your kids? Hmm. Number three thing, third thing to remember in conflict. Out of sight does not always mean out of mind. Ephesians 4.31 says this, get rid of all bitterness, anger, rage, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of malicious behavior. 
Hmm. Out of sight does not always mean out of mind. Can I tell you that, that sometimes we tend to think that because it's in the past, then it's just out of our mind and we should just move beyond it. Can I tell you, it's those kind of things that leave us walking with the limp, doesn't it? Out of sight doesn't necessarily mean it's out of mind. Oftentimes, out of sight just means that it's still floating around somewhere in your head. Can I tell you this? We can't continue to just leave that stuff floating around in there. I, I will tell you this, and again, this resource list I'm going to put up on the screen, it's so important. Would you just get some counsel? Now, now you could call the church and talk to a pastor, but can I tell you this? Uh, we're here to just give good spiritual advice, but we are not counselors. I am not a counselor, right? You don't want to come, if you come to get counsel from me, I'll just start talking, right? You need to listen, right? You need to start talking. And, and like, let me tell you this, I don't go to Les Schwab to get my ankle worked on, right? So go see a pro, somebody who's a real life counselor, and I'm going to put some resources on the screen, write them down. I, I, you can even call the office and they'll print them up for you or email you. You, you, listen, if you've been married for a minute, you need counseling. If you've been walk, you walk out these doors all by yourself, you need counseling. Come on, let me tell you this. Why do I know it? Because I've gone through some serious counseling. I've had to because I need it. Why? Because I'm human. I, I'm telling you this. We celebrate 30 years, Polly and I, this next, this next August, 30 years of marriage. Yay. But there was a, there, there, well, thanks. But let me tell you this. There was a season of time, 17 months of straight up every week counseling. Why? Because of me. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. It's not just me. It's both of us. Trust me. But, but I can tell you this. We need counseling. We need people who know Jesus, who can help walk you through your head. The devil's not asking for your permission to get into your head and tell you all kinds of stuff. He's just doing it. Remember what the Bible says? I, the Bible, this is Jesus. The Bible says in Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. You open the door, I'll come in. You know what the devil says? I'm outside the door and I'm about to just break it down. Jesus is knocking on the door. The devil's just going to push it open. He's going to tell you, you're dumb, you're an idiot, you're terrible, you're a horrible husband, you're a terrible wife. You, you, you need to get some serious talk through, some counseling. And finally, number, th- number five, when dealing with conflict, number four, sorry, I got gotcha. you. Number four, it doesn't always take two to tango. It doesn't always take two to tango. Sometimes you can tango all by yourself, hanging on to unforgiveness. You can leave that thing living inside of you for a long, long time. Ephesians 4.32 says, Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as Jesus Christ forgave you. When one of the disciples approached Jesus, Peter came to the Lord and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Jesus said, not seven, but 70 times seven. Matthew 6, 15, Jesus says this, but if you refuse to forgive others, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. If there is a scripture in the Bible that will buckle your knees more than that, I don't know what it is. If you don't forgive, you're not forgiven. I've said this before, but I'll explain it to you because I think it's so important. What does that mean? We read that passage, and it almost feels like a big neener neener from heaven. You know, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive. It's not that at all. Quite frankly, what it is is it's Jesus saying this. I forgive you. Jesus says, I'll forgive all your sin. If you'll just ask me, I'll forgive you. And then we turn around and say, yeah, but you don't know my dad. I'm not forgiving him. He hurt me. 
You don't know my brother. He hurt me. You don't know my sister. She hurt me. You don't know my mom. And I'm not forgiving them. And it's as if we say this. Jesus is here and he says, hey, I forgive you all your sin. So you have all this freedom to live in the forgiveness of sin. What happens when we say we're not going to forgive is we go like this. We pull ourselves out above God. And we say, to our, we say, you know what? You might forgive me, but I ain't forgiven. And he says, I can't even forgive you. You pulled yourself out from underneath me. Forgiveness sets you free. We tend to think that forgiveness is supposed to set them free. And so many of us are like, heck no, she doesn't deserve freedom. Forgiveness sets you free. It doesn't take two to tango. Some of us can be unforgiven all by ourselves. We hang on to that and we hang on to that. Let me tell you this. Once you experience freedom and you release the person, you actually reopen the door of the dungeon for yourself. And you experience the forgiveness of Jesus. Number five. When remembering to do with conflict, hindsight is not always 2020. Hindsight's not always 2020. You don't always see clearly what to do. It's not always, it doesn't always just make sense when you look backwards. Let me, let me tell you what Jeremiah 6, 16 says. So now the Lord says, stop right where you are. Look for the old godly way, then walk in it. Travel its paths, and you'll find rest for your soul. What do I mean by that? Sometimes we tend to think that we can figure out how to parent or how to be in relationship with a coworker or, or, or how to live in a marriage or whatever. We just think we can figure it out by just, by just buckling down and making it work. Can I tell you this? Hindsight's not always 2020, but we, we don't always look back and figure out how to do it all right. If we stop just for a second and get help, either through a counselor or reading a resource, I love this passage. It says, it says look for the old godly way and walk in it. Some of us have forgotten that Jesus is still the Lord and the master of our lives. Go back to Jesus. Go back to the old godly way and say, Jesus, it's broken. I don't know what to do. Go back to the old godly way. Go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't know how. I don't know how to ask for forgiveness. I don't know how to say I'm sorry. I need your help. Let me tell you this. You are the only one who can control your thought life. You bring you into your family. You're the only one who can, who, who can fix the conflict that's running around for you. We tend to think that, well, if she figures it out, then it's her responsibility to ask for me. You, you bring you into your conflict. You get to bring you into your conflict. You get to say, hey, look, man, I... He, you know, she, whatever the, the things are, you don't need to justify the problem, but you can deal with you and Jesus. Return to the old godly way. Get you and Jesus right. Get down on your knees and say, Jesus, break me for the things that break you. Heal me so I could bring a healed version of me into my marriage. Straighten me out so I can bring a healed version of me into my job, into my school into my neighborhood. Return to the old godly way and then walk in it and allow Jesus to meet you. Maybe that will change everything. Yeah, but they hurt me. They should go first. But you're the one hearing this today. 
God brought you here today. He has something for you. Don't just send the link out to them and tell them to listen to the sermon. God, we need your help. Who's kidding who? Lord, we come into this world and in all of our sin and brokenness, we're selfish. Most of us don't know uh, just how to lay our lives down. We're trying to watch you, but God, it's super hard. Some of us have been hurt beyond words. Some of us have done some hurting beyond words. Lord, I ask that you just bring healing to both sides of that equation. God, bring hope to the fearful person. Lord, bring strength to that person. Lord, to the the, the person that is dealing with, with definite difficulty, I pray that you give them the right resources to walk this out. And God, for the person that's here today that's saying, man, I just need to change my attitude, that God, you meet that person today and they can learn to walk in the old godly way of the ancient path and find you again. We need you a bunch, Jesus. Heal us, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Learning stuff about family.